Welcome to the Making Your Mondays Feel Like Fridays, the Irvin Lawway podcast. Your host is Leslie Peters, the guy with the girl's name, and yes, he's sticking to it. This is a podcast where we help reshift and pursue happiness and purpose by living every day with the same enthusiasm we have on Fridays at the end of the workday. In this episode, we pull it from the Urban Law Show where Charles Leslie and Kennedy discuss breaking down barriers as it relates to what's going on on the Hill and with policy pertaining to wildlife and what all it covers. Enjoy. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Another week. And the first week we've had all three of us in quite a while. Um, we played a show from the past last week and glad to have Miss Kennedy back after the 4th of July. So we're going to kick it off with you, Kennedy, and, and, and just bring in all of us up to speed so far. I think you're about a month into your intern in D.C. So I know you're going to have a newsletter going out to everyone here in the next week or so, kind of recapping what you've been doing, but get us up to speed. I want to, of course, um, you do, so, but I, want, I want to hear, I want to hear about this radio uh, interview. That yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I recently just did a um, radio interview yesterday with, I mean, I yesterday, this past Wednesday with um, state, Mississippi State Representative Dekeether Stamps. Um, a my supervisor over the environmental justice team. She thought this would be a great idea for myself and two of two of my colleagues. One goes to um, North Carolina A and T, and the other one goes to Texas Southern. And we were talking to him about the uh, National Wildlife Federation, just about how the importance of having younger generation going into green careers, and not only that, just our experience and um, the importance of paying attention to our environment because our environment can play a big part on how we live, really. And I think we also just explain more of what the um, organization is mainly about. That's what we talked about because one lady, she was asking a question, what is wildlife all about? Is it just about animals? And I had to let her know. I was like, no, it's it's more than that. Like we support a lot of different bills. Um, we also support like the infrastructure package, package that's being introduced, I think to the Senate next week. Um, Congress, that's one thing I learned about being in this internship. Congress and the House is kind of unpredictable. Some days they might go over this bill, then they might want to introduce a whole nother bill. So, but yeah, it was really, um, it was really fun. And on top of that, I got to um, ask him for interview for my publication that I'm actually getting, trying to create is about the Jackson water crisis to basically spread awareness about this issue because it's been going on for years. A lot of my, um, Actually, a lot of my colleagues that's on the environmental justice team, she's doing a whole different project about the Jackson water crisis. But I had to enlighten her. I was like, yeah, this is something that's been going on for a while. Like she didn't know we was like we were on a boil water notice. I had to let her know. I said this. Yeah, that happens about every year. It was just this year was a little out of control. So that was pretty uh, much fun that I did this past Wednesday. Then I had to complete some other projects for my uh, internship today. So it has been a little hectic, but I ended my week strong. <laughs> so, yeah. Very good. Lots Thank of exposure you. and you get a chance to employ some of that deep thinking that I had you all doing. So that's very good. You did. You did. You did. <laughs> so you, you were just you were just tuning them up, Charles, for what was ahead, right? Getting them, getting them ready to shine on the national stage. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, Kennedy, what would you say? Going into the internship, and if I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were not that versed on the Wildlife uh, <laughs> Federation. So going in, what has been your your biggest surprise in terms of what they do and, and what's changed your shape or your outlook on the agency as a whole? Um, 
my biggest surprise was one i never realized how much you could really do with the political science degree and that's why i took this internship i wanted to be exposed to all aspects of it i didn't realize that you can apply public policy to stuff about wildlife and i also didn't realize how many bills they actually support besides like endangered species and extinct species and stuff like that. It's so many other things that they support and they're trying to get funding for to create more jobs and have a larger economic impact on uh, a lot of communities across the nation. So that was one thing I was really surprised about. Um, another thing that I was shocked about, but I'm not, well, I'm not shocked, but I see why that the uh, Thurgood Marshall and the organization wanted to have us fellows here. So. I am the only black person in all of my meetings. I'm, and a lot of the times I'm the only black woman. Um, I'm not new to this because I grew up in a lot of uh, predominantly, I grew up in a more predominantly white um, neighborhood. I went to predominantly white high schools and stuff, but it's just kind of mind boggling just to see like, wow, they really do need more diversity and more, um, uh, how can I say this? more outlooks and more different just opinions on certain things and issues. And so that was one thing I was really shocked about. But I think now that's changed my mind about the organization is how much they are trying to be so diverse and how they're trying to be so inclusive as well. And I think that's really great. And honestly, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. I told my friends that I'm going fishing once I this fall. Um, I'm trying to go hunting. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Right. <laughs> I'm going right to try to. <laughs> mm. don't, don't take don't take hunting lessons from Charles. He wasn't very good at it. Yeah. Whatever, Liz. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, like we 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 can go to my hometown and they'll tell you stories how he went to sleep on the deer stand and woke up and the deer took his gun. You know? So I'm just saying, you don't want to get lessons from Charles. You Kennedy. might want to come to me for that. So you just Kennedy. <clears throat> now, does that even sound realistic? Well, whether it sounds realistic or not, it's no. true, though. You know. Oh, okay, Leslie. Here, I have a question for you, Kennedy. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned infrastructure. Talk about your exposure to the park systems and the lands that are under the control of the government and how that is that plays a big part in budgeting. So a big part in budgeting, like right now, they're thinking they're thinking about um well they're going over like budget uh, resolution and reconciliation and a lot of time how the funding should be um dis dis distributed. So a lot of times when it comes to like public lands, so conserving our public like national uh national parks not only that just public lands like a regular park or building more parks for kids to go play in and do explore like really enjoy the environment but not only that when it comes to infrastructure so a lot of the infrastructure package that's being talked about and that will be introduced as a bipartisan bill for a lot of people don't know about bipartisan it's, um it's basically getting uh it has to be passed by a 60 majority vote but it's having a Republican and a Democratic vote. So that's what bipartisan is. And so with this infrastructure bill is talking about funding for a uh, climate change and like a uh, uh, carbon combustion and how climate plays a role on infrastructure. One prime example is a lot of y'all don't know if you guys remember, but that uh, I think it was a hotel, not a hotel. It was an apartment complex in Miami that collapsed. That was because of the climate, how a lot, a lot, a lot of times also they were passing um that were getting by when it came to inspections. And so that's why oh, for years, nobody actually checked the structure of that building. Um, another one is water infrastructure, surface infrastructure. So having more funding for um, really just fixing potholes one. Um, another one is trying to have more uh, public transportation available, especially when it comes to um, having access for underdeveloped communities. Also water infrastructure, making sure that for example, Jackson, the pipes are up to par. The it's not lead in the water. It's it's a lot that plays into um, this infrastructure package and just funding overall. And they have to. That's what uh, Democrats and Republicans are really kind of going back and forth with. Or I don't want to spend my money on this. Or it's too much money going into this. So that's one thing that I learned throughout these past couple of weeks is how budgeting plays a role. Um, how votes play a role. How winning and trying to strategize and get a lot of support from either congressmen or uh, senators, it plays a role in getting a lot of legislation passed and it can really impact true change in everybody's community to this day. 
statewide. So that's one thing that I really learned. Hmm. One thing you should add to that is, especially in local politics, paved streets win elections. Yes. <laughs> and that's exactly what I said on a representative stamps radio show. I said, make sure that you look at, you know, you vote, pay attention to your local elections, your local councilmen and, you know, officials, government officials, like that's what matters the most. That's what affects change. So, yeah, I've learned a lot over these past couple of weeks. I'm happy. Like you've been busy. I have. <laughs> yeah. I'm good, video, but you guys want me to start off the show? Let's kick Let's it off. So I wanted to start off the show with highlighting how uh, Seahawks linebacker Bobby Wagner, he's partnering with the HBCU Legacy Bowl. So uh, those of you who don't know, the Legacy Bowl is an all-star game that showcased at least 100 of the best draft-eligible football players from HBCUs all across the country. It's scheduled to happen on February 19th, 2022, um, and it happens on the Saturday after the Super Bowl. So I thought that was really interesting. I don't know about you guys, so yeah. 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 Um... And it's quite a few uh, uh, former professional players and other key figures that have signed on to the bowl. And listen, listen, I think anytime we can get a bowl in addition to the celebration bowl that gives additional teams a chance to play postseason in the HBCU world is a great thing. Um, I think the celebration bowl is great. It's phenomenal, but it's only two teams, right? And so and with the conference getting even stronger, there's more than two teams that deserve to go in and play a postseason and do some things. So I think it's a great opportunity, and hopefully they get the support to continue to making it bigger and stronger and better. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Charles, what say you? Do you really want me to say something on that? <laughs> wait, wait. Wait a minute. All right, so so you know, anytime he starts with that, you know, it's more to that. Yeah. What's, what's, what's I want to say something on that. I'm not going to be satisfied until we have our own sports network so that we have the funding uh, from ad revenue to expand the playing field. Signing on to the celebration ball is all fine and good, but we need to think larger. Are you saying this for HBCUs? That's yeah. what you're saying? Okay. And I think, I think what he's saying holistic, and I think we're on the path to that. I think we do have to think larger, and I think that's that's the narrative that's been truly discussed is, I mean, when you really think about it, and they announced the deals of ESPN, I don't get super excited about that. I mean, it's great. You got some games on ESPN, but that shouldn't be the end all, right? Because if we have our own network, and we all paying twenty five dollars a month. What it is to 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 watch all the games, not just just the ones that ESPN decide that they want to air, but to watch all the games. You can watch your team, and we have the ad revenue from that, plus the membership base from that. It's on cable now. We build that up where that's kicking millions of dollars back to each school every year. Now we can truly make an impact and level the playing field because that can go to facilities improvements, things that are truly directly going to benefit the student athlete at every school in the conference. And so that's that's what the bigger move is in terms of leveling the playing field. You got to level it where a kid can see it, where alumni can see it, where I can see it the moment I walk on campus. It's got to be in every aspect of athletics, not just and not just one sport. I mean, yeah. Across, True. across the game. Yeah. True. And hopefully we can. A lot of people they always mention um well BT, but they have to realize BT isn't owned by a black uh person. Not anymore. It hasn't yeah. been since uh Robert Johnson was yeah, sold it. And I, that's been a some time ago now. Yeah, he sold it to Viacom for like I don't know, but it was billions of dollars. Four million dollars. Yep. <laughs> yes, he I actually remember. They said that because we, while my family was here for Fourth of July weekend, we went to the National African American Museum, and they said that in the museum. I was like, "Wow!" Yeah. Now I see why he sold him. <laughs> well, I mean, look, that's how he became a billionaire, right? And, right. and his wife. So, right. If you can make a product well enough to sell it, that's what you do. That is very true. Right. 
just get business. And along those same lines, when you think about the culture and history of HBCU football in particular, and and let's be real, you mentioned the other sports. Football is the economic force for all of these other sports to exist. True. Sure. Sure. Uh, and so, but when you think about that, that rich, rich culture, there is a way to package that so that we all win. Absolutely. Because look, every school in the SEC is not Alabama, but they all benefit from right. Well, they benefit, they benefit, they benefit when they when they tally up at the end of the year and the members get that get that television check. Exactly, because I think this year, what did they get brought up? Something like $26 million of school? $26 million. That's a healthy song. Right. You know how you know what you can do with facilities across the board? You could do so much. <laughs> and just just add your programs across the board in athletics for $26 million. So, so we got a question for Pittman. He says, well, how do you package it? Well, you think about think about it from this standpoint. I think I think probably the SWAC and McClellan are closest right now because we've essentially created a super conference by adding FAM and Bethune Cookman. Um, and so that that creates a bigger geographic footprint. You go from Florida all the way across to Texas. Yeah. Is Bethune Cookman in Florida too? Daytona Beach. Yes. Oh, oh wow. Um, and so you you now have a geographic footprint that creates uh conditions where we already know the games are gonna be packed. Uh, the better the product is on the field, of course, that always helps. Yeah. But I think you do Swag, a SWAC uh, sports network instead of just the Jackson State sports network. Yeah. Yeah. That I, was, I do agree. And also, I was talking to my friend literally before the show started. We were talking and planning out our trip and stuff. And um, I did not know. I don't know if everybody else knew. I knew that a new NFL, like a, a retired NFL, I want to say Hall of Famer, was a part of, was the head coach of a new HBCU team, but I did not know he was a part of the, he was a head coach for Tennessee State, Eddie George. I thought it was a whole different, in a whole different conference. It is. He is. It the, is. That's a different conference. <clears throat> Tennessee State is in the Ohio Valley Conference. But they have a long-standing rivalry with Jackson State because of the Southern Heritage Club. That's yeah. true. I just did not know. So when she told me that, I said, oh, my gosh, Memphis is going to be so packed. I said, I need to buy my ticket now. It's going to be packed anyway. Yeah, yeah. but now. I mean, it's packed on a down year. So yeah. it's going to be packed anyway. So I get what you're saying about the, the recent additions of NFL coaches. But black college football, has, if you look at the numbers, uh, look at the attendance numbers. Right. Jackson State led attendance back before TV was a thing. Yeah. Honestly, and, yep. And even, through, every time. and even through down years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it can be done. We have the fan base. And I'm not just speaking from a Jackson State standpoint. I think when you look at across the swag, you look at the stories that you can tell from, from Prairie View going on, on uh, the death penalty to now where they are today with some of the best facilities in the right. swag. You go to Alabama State. Now, wait a minute, y'all. Her eyes glassed over because she has no idea what you mean when you say the death penalty. Look uh, at her. She's totally confused. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to pay attention. Death penalty is the harshest penalty that the NCAA can sanction you with for uh, gross misconduct within your program. So they take, the, they take the sport away from you. You can't play at all. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. And okay. then when they got it back, after some years when they got it back, they could oh, yeah, they couldn't win a game. <laughs> they didn't have scholarships. So oh, Alabama State? Prairie, Prairie View. Prairie View. Oh, Prairie. In fact, Prairie View became the team that everybody played for their home game. Yeah. Because they knew they was going to win? Oh, not just win. Like, oh, literally, you played the starters <laughs> for a quarter. Yeah. Wow. And you still won 60-0. to zero. <laughs> Well, that's very interesting. You guys definitely informed me on a lot of new things about HBCU football. 
But well, I, you know, I will say this, the, uh, Dr. McClellan, which is the SWAC commissioner, did an interview recently and he got asked that question, Charles, and he spoke to that. That now with the strength of the conference and particularly as of July 1st with the acquisition of FAMU and Air Base and Bethune-Cookman, those are the type of conversations. So they're looking at a couple of things. He even mentioned creating an official licensing situation, an official store for SWAT gear. Okay. Uh, partner with some major brokers and doing some things with that. He talked about a, a, a SWAT network, so to speak, where is, you know, you, you if you want to definitely you can support your school's network and, and alumni connect, but you could also go back to the SWAT network and, uh, and, and, and see sports across the gamut. He talked about some other innovative things they were doing uh, and leveraging the conference to be able to bring more resources back to the member institutions because he said his goal is, he said, what if every school in the conference had the facilities that equal Prairie View and Alabama State? Man. How strong would the conference be? Now, and I haven't so, seen Alabama State about Prairie View. Yeah. He, he spoke to the face that what if every school had the academic and the graduation rates of Jackson State? Because I think at the time we had the highest. He called out the highest ones. What if every school had that? And so he said, that's what they're shooting for excellence across the board. And changing in that. And for the first time, with the geographic addition of Florida, it gives a whole new avenue to different sponsors and different opportunities that didn't exist before either. Look, here's what I will tell you the stories are so rich in the swag right now. Which one the stories? Okay, I'm about to give you, I'm about to give you uh, just, a, just a snippet. If how many okay Kennedy here here you go you're a Jackson State alum who has the most who has the most NFL Hall of Famers in Mississippi what what university is it not JSU no I, I okay wait is it not JSU I, I thought it was it is okay <laughs> that in and of itself is a story because <laughs> most people don't expect you to say that they expect to be Mississippi State Ole Miss. Southern, but not Jackson State, right? Yeah, I wouldn't think Jackson State. I just know when it comes to NFL Hall of Famers, I know for sure it's Alcorn uh, because I didn't uh, – McNair went there, then Valley because Rice, and then JSU because uh, Payton. I never thought of a PWI in Mississippi. <laughs> never. Well, most people do. Most people do. But the fact that Jackson State has four, and I think they'll soon have a fifth. So right now you got Jackie Slater, Lim Barney, who played with my dad. Wow. You have Walter Payton and you have Robert Brazil. Okay. Soon to have Jimmy Jug Smith. Jug. Shout out to Jug. So 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 when you talk to your you mentioned you had some colleagues from Texas Southern and one from uh, another school, they they can't say that. They can't. So just giving you a little, a little, little. That just fuel that's for one, your for your engine there. <laughs> that's just one snippet. So think about this: Bayou Classic is in the swag. Mm -hmm. Southern Heritage Classic is half fifty percent swag. <laughs> Jackson State Southern Boombox Boombox Classic, and then the Soul Bowl. And then oh, I got one for you, Magic City Classic. Which yeah, Magic City? City? Wait, wait, which one, Magic City? That's that's the Alabama schools, Alabama State versus oh. Alabama A&M. Yeah. Okay. You telling me that won't sell on TV? You know how every, many the revenue? Every the Saturday, it's a classic. Think about now we we're we're doing the Orange Blossom Classic. Orange Blossom Classic is not brand new; they're reviving a classic. Right. Yeah. Jackson State and Fam, the Marching One Hundred versus the Sun and Boom. That's a story in and of itself, right there. Exactly. Listen, it's so many stories. I can give you stories from the day I think I was in junior high. Went to the game when Wavy Day beat up the Valley Delta Devil. <laughs> and we're talking about just the mascot stories. I mean, it's yeah. so many stories within a story in black college football. So when you go to a game. And black college football, you're gonna leave with the story of the game who won the loss. But there's gonna be so many stories in the midst of that story that you're gonna leave with. 
from the tailgating to the noise talking to the bands to the then you it's all an experience and so at the end of the day i think we have an incredible experience to sell and once the world get a taste of that experience all bets off yeah. and not to mention there's gonna be a documentary being released soon just on jackson state and we know what documentaries have done particularly on netflix with last chance you and what it did to a school ain't nobody heard of in scuba scuba mississippi not even that i think they're really gonna um mark my words in a couple more years i feel like not even just on netflix i feel like espn is going to do one because so many people are joining the wave of hbcus i feel like they really are going to do a documentary sooner or later uh chris paul already has done a not a documentary but a docu-series with nccu so it's coming it's coming but i want to transition us to talk about um for those you don't know one thing that i want to talk about was Manchin, who meets with the texas democrats and says he wants a paired vote a pared down voting rights bill. So uh, Manchin is a senator. A lot of you guys may not know, but he um, went to talk with the Texas Democrats. Hold on, make sure you say where what state he represents for you, because many people might not know. Yes. It's West Virginia. Yes, Joe it is. Manchin. Joe Manchin, West Virginia. Joe Manchin, West Virginia. <laughs> Kennedy. Yep. Kennedy. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my fault. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have said that that was my fault. But yes, he is a... Uh, West Virginia Senator, and he is meeting with the Texas Democrats to talk about the um, voting the voting rights bill. So a lot of you guys probably have heard of how a lot of state governments and a lot of uh, states are trying to create these voter, really is voter dis- discrimination at the end of the day. Georgia is a prime example. We talked about that one Congresswoman who was arrested for knocking on the Senate's door, I want to believe. Please don't quote me on this. I'm trying to remember, but a lot of this has been a lot of problems within the U.S. A lot of voter restriction, um, voters discrimination. If I'm not mistaken, I just looked up a congressman woman, Beatty. She just was re- arrested today at the U.S. Capitol for protesting for the voters' rights bill and for the For the People Act. And so it's a very huge deal for a lot of you, uh, for all of you guys who don't know about the um, For the People Act. It is an historic legislation that responds to the twin crisis facing our country. And it dates back uh, from the, uh, on January 6th to now, when it comes to voter suppression all across the country, when it comes also to a demand for racial justice. Um, And it's basically defending democracy because as of right now for states who are trying to pass legislation that has a lot of voter uh, discrimination, it's it's not a democracy at this point. So that's why a lot of uh, congressmen and a lot of uh, official governmental officials are trying to push for this act and push for this bill. A prime example for the reason why they wanna push this bill is when this past election, they were saying it was voter fraud, it was lies and all of the lies that were based out of or voter fraud came from these black and brown communities because this is this past election was the largest turnout we've had in years so that's the main reason why i feel like this is really huge and important to pay attention to this um make sure you you dot your uh, i's and cross your t's when it comes to make sure you're registered for voting especially these next uh, upcoming midterm elections i really wanted to shine light on that um if you guys have anything to say but <laughs> if not and of course here's, here's what i would say Anything that Manson is trying to pare down, be careful with it. Because Manson, Manson is, is uh, voting essentially as a Republican. Mm. Is he, I haven't, I can't, I can't, I haven't done that much research, but is he a Democrat or a Republican? I just know. <laughs> the fact, the mere fact that you have to ask that question, answer I'm, that question. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was only because I was paying more attention to the For the People Act. I was trying to put that on the show today. Yeah, no, no, Kennedy, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the fact that you have to ask that question tells you about how he votes because everybody has to ask that question when you look at Joe Manchin, particularly with his act and with his actions right he says one thing but his actions are so he's another uh he's basically in my eyes he's another um senator cinema she's a senator for arizona she's a democratic but a a lot of her supporters and the people who were campaigning for her don't really like how they they thought she was going to support a lot of their issues but she became senator and she just flipped the script so she's a little flippy floppy as well so 
But that's at what I'm point, at this point. They're not flippy floppy. They're then, standing. They're standing in the way of the agenda. Mm, okay. Yeah. And so when you start talking about watering down the Florida People Act, essentially what this act would do, I was just messing with you all here when I said I didn't know. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> is think about it this way, and Leslie can relate to this. You remember the point shaving scandal in college basketball? Yes. So you're not you're not gonna cut out, you're not gonna cut out basketball and scoring. But if you're betting on the games and you have a way to predict the score or hold the score down in order to make money, then that puts you in a in a much better position as far as the odds go. They're not they're not gonna stop people from voting. They know that. But what they can do is slow down the abundance of people voting, thereby bringing it closer to 50-50, and they feel like their turnout machine can win at that point. What the last presidential cycle showed is if we show up in mass numbers and we are loud enough and consistent enough, it doesn't matter. They don't have the numbers. Right. So these acts ensure that people's votes are not disenfranchised. Yes. And that is very true. And I, I think the reason why I want to tell people to even pay attention to this bill, but not only that, pay attention to when the midterm elections do come, you are registered to vote is because another prime example of when it came to voter suppression this past election was not a lot of um, voting sites. The lines were too long. Um, it became it was also voter fraud. It's a lot of people don't realize, but it's a lot of um voter suppression and just discrimination when it comes to votes votes and them trying to quiet our voices. So I just want people to be aware of legislation that's going on right now. Hopefully this act will be passed. A lot of people are making some, and the wise words of John Lewis, good trouble. So I hope that's good. Um, let us hope. Yes, let us hope and pray. That's really all I can say. Um, the, better, the bigger question is Kennedy, are you making good trouble? Is yeah. your generation making good trouble? And I feel like we are. I think um, we just need to educate more. I want. I feel like my generation is. How can I say this and not try to uh, clown my own generation? Uh, don't sugarcoat it. Say it. We're we, very. We, we speak. We speak truth to power here. So just say it. We're very ignorant. So. A lot of times uh, on social media, when I follow some of my classmates, a lot of them would say like, oh, well, I'm not going to vote. What's voting going to do? Or man, whatever. I'm not going to register to vote or voting don't change a thing. And these are grown people who see how the past elections has, you know, turned out and they're still trying to say this or I don't vote at all. I think that's one thing we're really ignorant and I don't think they understand the importance. But not only that, they aren't properly educated on why voting matters, because if that's the case, a lot of their... I feel like when it came to uh, local issues and stuff, would be it would be changed. I feel as though, or at least they will have a part in that process of seeing change. And so that's what I would say for my generation. We're ignorant at times. You know why I think that's the case? And not just your generation, by the way, every generation. You know why I think that's the case after having to kind of really think about it and having a lot of years to think about it? <laughs> it's just, it comes down to this simple thing. Charles says it all the time. He says all politics are local. If we, because when we present the case of why voting is important, we don't do a good job of tying the theory to practicality and make the voting and the power of the vote real to the person. So you, so for example, let me give you an example. So if, if I'm a big sports guy and you, you know, does that man? I I'm I'm coaching several little teams, and I'm doing this, and at the city parks with kids. Otherwise, would be on the street, and that's a passion for me. But yet, I I can't get the resources from my city. I can't get the resources to do that. Then, if I start having a conversation about voting, look at who we put into the office last time. Look at what who was running against them. Look at what they track record that platform. Here is why we're not getting the resources because of the people that we're putting in the office locally and the local politics is really what drive that I can relate to. We often talk politics on a national or state level, which doesn't always filter down to the person because they, what they're asking themselves is what's in it for me. What I yeah. call a riffle. 
They want to know what the what for me is. What's in it for me? And <laughs> I can't I can't see what's in for, what's in it for me if I'm looking at it from thirty thousand feet or a hundred thousand feet if it's national and thirty thousand feet if it's statewide. So I it it doesn't it doesn't relate to me. And I think we've done a poor job historically and even now of having that local message and being able to tie the theory to practicality to make it real to the person. Now you can talk to them about and educate them, empower them about what voting can do because it's real to them now. Very true. And I will say it is all generations because when this past, before I left for my internship in my county, well, really in my city, but we had voting on like uh, for our mayor and stuff like that. And um, my first black mayor and my dad mentioned it to um, a friend of his, he was like, yeah, I just went to go vote. And he was like, well, and he didn't even know. And he stays in the same city as us. <laughs> so that is true. Deontay Graham said, I definitely think our generation can be ignorant in these matters. But I also but I can also vouch and say in public schools, they don't teach about politics as they should. That is also very true. And a lot of my um, classmates, specifically my political science classmates, I've talked about this a lot. Um, we, we would try to put on Twitter, like, try to just, we urge our um, peers to just take one political science type of class, just one, anything about politics, because it's so much, it'll make more sense. Like even to this day in my internship, you would you would think I would know because I'm a poli sci major, but I'm just like, wow, I didn't even know it could go that deep and it can apply to so many different aspects of just life in general. There's, a, there's an intersection of uh, policy, theory and practicality yes in order in order to succeed you have to find buy-in as leslie was talking generically about uh his scenario i'm going to follow that up with this there is a park in columbia mississippi by the name of duckworth park is it a black community and when I, I mean, I'll call his name. I'm, I'm sure you won't mind. Uh, Reverend Larry Jenkins uh, was always at the city council meeting holding elected officials accountable. And it just so happened that Duckworth Park fell in my ward. So guess who was getting it the most? <laughs> you. <laughs> but what I would, the reason I share that is because, because of his determination and, and the people that he, you know, motivated in that community. Now you have a whole generation of major league baseball players. Wow. Out of that, out of that small little park. Yeah. And you know, that park is special to me. And I know the Pittman in here, because we played at that park when it didn't get the resource. And I would be remiss if I didn't call the name of Mr. Claudius James, who with his own money. <laughs> grabbed kids in the neighborhood, provided the uniforms for us and equipment. We didn't pay for anything to play the game of baseball. And to see where it's grown now, once it has the resources and what kids are able to do now, it it really, it really touches my heart because I remember in the beginning, we played basketball at the park, but there wasn't no baseball really happening. More like well, all you gotta remember, and then this is, you know, I can say this because I, I was a former elected official. All that money was going to a different baseball park. Right, right. The one that, um, if I'm not mistaken, I used to drive out there all the time to my uncle's house in Brandon. Uh, is it by the Children's Museum? The one across is you, you know the park? I'm no, 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 no. Okay, okay. You this, but you in a different city. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the one in our hometown, which is yeah. a small town uh, south. But but yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh, Pittman for that. Yeah, Coach Jane. I mean, and listen, I would have never picked up a baseball bat had it not been for Claudius James and and what he showed us and taught us and did for us in the game of baseball. And in fact, the first time I ever met the late great Steve McNair was playing baseball against him when I when he introduced to me to his 80-some miles per hour fastball. That, that was my introduction to Steve McNair. Now I see you know, so, are you asked from Mississippi, the home of Walter Page? Wow, y'all are both from Columbia. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, my one of my really good friends is from Colombia, and he talks about that all the time. But I did not know you guys were from Colombia because, Mr. Peters, I thought you were from Laurel, Mississippi. Because when you would call on your six hundred one number, that's what would show up. Wow, it's a lot of Columbia students actually at JSU too. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 definitely. Um, it's a lot of Jacksonians in Columbia. Represent strong. I really yeah. want to try wards. That's why I heard it was good wards. I don't know if you guys heard of that. Oh, yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If somebody's <laughs> from Columbia and they don't know about wars, they're not from Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, that's 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 an OG wars. Yeah. <laughs> original. Original. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, all right. But, but no, I mean, but but to that point, growing up, rural town, and you take all the great athletes, we we stand on the shoulders of somebody else. And so they got their opportunity because of the Larry Jenkins, the Claudius James, you know, the people like my dad and his friends and Coach Boston and so many, so many mm -hmm. that did stuff out of their own pockets and did the extra things when no resources were being provided while they were fighting to get them. And they never gave up the fight. So I'm happy to see uh, what what's happening now. And, and I look at the players that come out of that, and I think the latest one, they had a picture just drafted this in the major league that plays out here for the Rangers, uh, wow. from right there from Desmond Park. So it's, it's amazing to see, but that all starts, like you said, because you connected the dots of local politics, you connected practicality to theory, I mean, from theory to practicality where people can relate to it, and now they can understand the importance. Yes. Yes. And that's why we try to always urge some of our peers when it comes to people who are majoring in political science, like just take one political science class, just one. You're going to see how much it impacts our community in various ways. So uh, one thing also I wanted to touch light on is I knew that this wasn't um, that this was true. But I think now is a lot of people are starting to open their eyes to the situation. So. One thing that I found on CNN was how minimum wage workers can't afford rent anywhere in America. And it was saying how housing has become so expensive in the United States that the typical minimum wage worker can't afford rent. According to the new report, there is no state or county or city in the country where a full time minimum wage worker working 40 hours a week can afford a two bedroom rental. And this was a report from the National Low Income Housing Coalition. And it's so far, it says a full-time minimum wage worker can afford one bedroom rental in only 7% of all U.S. counties, 218 counties out of more than 3,000 nationwide. And the federal minimum wage is $7.25. And I honestly think that's the issue. Even my friend who works for Amazon, she, she just got her paycheck today. She said she worked overtime and they took so many taxes out her check. I said, even if you worked overtime, it's not even, you're not getting paid overtime anymore. They take so much, it's, it's really sad. And living in DC, I remember when my parents um helped me move in last month, beginning of June, I've never seen the homeless population, how it is. Like I've seen it in Jackson, but in DC it's really bad. It's tents all along the bridges, um, homeless people walking by Walgreens asking for change, um, going to the gas station. Can you please give me a hot? It's, it's bad. That's why we all of the fellows here did a community service project handing out sack lunches and hygiene products to the homeless. But it's just I just don't understand how I don't know. I just don't get it. I just don't how minimum wage workers can't even afford living anymore. It seems like the cost of living is just so expensive like wow that's a good question for you to respond to Leslie. yeah <laughs> you talk about economic disparities quite a bit and right now coming out of covid i'm setting this up for leslie because i think you know he does a good job with economic disparities but coming out of covid and on top of inflation and another housing bubble don't you think that kind of further broadens that gap it absolutely does, because coming out of COVID, what you've seen is this. So a lot of people had to make tough decisions in COVID. A lot of business owners had to make tough decisions in COVID. So when you look at the population of who made those decisions, and let's just start there, who made those decisions, and then look at the race, ethnicity, gender breakdown of that, that's overwhelmingly over 93% white male. 
right? So when they're making those decisions right there uh, of cuts and layoffs and all of that, it kind of gives you, uh, they're not gonna cut themselves. So, so when you look at the paradigm of that, where is that going? So the first thing they're gonna protect is the entities that make money, that are revenue generated, right? And, 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 and I'm not knocking them for that, I'm no different. As a business owner, the things you try to protect are the things that's revenue generating. The things that you cut to try to, to, try to get you through the rough times are the things that are non-revenue generating that you can get away. You don't have to be excellent. You can just be good and still survive, but you've got to be excellent in the revenue generating part. And so that's what you protect. So when that happens, when you look at the, the minimum wage workers and where they reside in that paradigm, they're not in revenue generation. Okay. They're in support roles. They're, they're, they're in essential worker categories where they're essential. So that's why they had to be out front of the pandemic, but they're not in that high wage earning, decision-making capacity. They are at the bottom tier of that. Then when you look at uh, what we did on the wealth gap several months ago, you will notice that there has not been an increase in earnings of that lower tier wealth gap in the last 50 years. In fact, their earning power has not increased, it's reduced. So the example I gave in 1970-71, uh, average salary for a full-time bank teller was $28,000 and some change. In 2010, that same salary for that same bank teller was 21000 and some change. So imagine 2020, if we had to look at it again. Now the bank tellers, I can tell you, they ain't paying bank tellers. Do your high school graduate can get a bank teller job. It's probably around eighteen, nineteen thousand. So when you look at that now, if that money is going down, what's happening on the top 3%? So your managers, uh, uh, highly skilled labor and, and, and uh, entrepreneurs and business owners, their earnings have gone up over 400% during that same time. So there's your wealth gap. So your wealth gap just keep widening, widening. Now, when you factor that in with the, with the housing bubble and what's going on there, I'm no different. I'm caught up in that. Right now, if you're selling your house in a market, it's great to sell it. Here's the problem. Where are you going? <laughs> you can sell it and you can make a good profit, but it's going to take everything you just sold it for and about $100,000 more just to buy another one. Okay. <laughs> oh, you know, so and that's where we are. Let me, let, me, let me jump in right there, Leslie, because there's a new study out on specific to housing and housing prices that says that people are selling their houses uh, but the buyers are buying them in anticipation of renting them back to them mm-hmm. wow yeah 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 that's and you know what one thing okay so i do have a question i hope i'm not getting off topic but i just kind of want to get a general perspective my friends and I were talking about this and I'm not rushing to be an adult. I honestly think adulthood sucks. But <laughs> but one thing I was realizing how just being human, it just costs so much. Everything just costs so much. And I just want to know when you were saying a lot of people are being in these essential worker work roles, they're not being in these high paying roles. What is the cost of a bachelor's degree now? I feel as though as more black people have been able to attain bachelor's degree, the price of those degrees have decreased and you can't even get a good paying job anymore. And so I feel as though even those people who attain those bachelor's degrees still, I mean, yes, they can afford rent, but they're living, I feel like paycheck to paycheck, even though everybody financial responsibilities and um, finances are different. But it's just how can you even be in those top three percent percent jobs? Like, where is the disconnect? Like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. First of all, it's not education is not the problem. It's 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 the funding mechanism for education that's the problem. So let me give you an example. The average the average black person will not leave even with a bachelor's for four year degree with no debt. Even now, watch this number mess with you even of ones that are on a full academic or athletic scholarship, they will not leave school with zero debt. Mm. 
Because even when you go to, go to college, there's this thing called cost of living that kicks in. You still not have to live in college. You've got to eat. You've got to, to function. And all of those things cost money. And then there's all the other caveats that get us into debt from the credit card companies and all of those things that happen. So when you leave out of school and you're already in debt, you're already starting beneath the eight ball. So that means when you get out and you get your first check and after they take all the taxes out, guess what? You still got a problem because your credit rating is probably not where it needs to be because you didn't understand credit. So you didn't have an idea how to build it. Doing the best time to build it in your life is when you're in college. But if you don't understand it, then you don't build it and they don't teach it. It's not in the curriculum. Number two, you come out, you, 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 you get your first car, you're paying a higher interest rate, you are living check to check, even though you got a good job because you want to live in a certain part of town. You try to live in a certain, you know, you want to live close to work in a certain part of town. So you're paying higher rent, which is fine, which would be okay if you weren't paying 18% interest on your car loan. Exactly. So now it's going to, you're going to pay double the amount for a car that you should pay. And by the time you get through paying it off, you don't pay for it twice because the car done broke down the warranties as fast. <laughs> So all of that happens and it, what it does, it just compounds the problem. And, okay. then, and we hadn't even talked about when you get your apartment, now you got to get furniture and you're probably getting that on credit. Gotta get groceries. Because you don't have a savings of funding to set you up properly. So you're already starting off the, and that's the average trajectory of our educated folks in our pipeline. I'm telling you my story. Hey, I, that, that's how it plays out. So the reality is once you start from behind, how do you switch the gap? How do we get in different position? And it really comes down to, we have to think differently. We have to shift from a consumer mindset to a business mindset, to a producer mindset. And if you shift from a consumer mindset to a producer mindset, you think and function differently. So I can give you an example. If I, can, if I was coming out of college today, I'm going to drive my hoopty a little bit longer. I'm going to live in a nice part of town, but I ain't got to live in the best part of town. I am going to pack my lunch and I'm going to invest and I'm going to be very savvy and I'm going to understand credit and I'm going to build a, a 800 plus credit score and use it and leverage it where it works for me and not for the bank. I'm going to buy assets, not liabilities, and I'm going to turn those assets to create wealth. Now, there's a tactical plan to doing that and specifics of what you do. I'm giving you just general high level thought, but that's what I do today. I shift from consumer where I'm buying something somebody else is producing, where I'm producing or solving a problem that people are paying me. That's going to allow me to get in the 3%. Okay. I can't get there just in a typical way because I'm already starting behind the eight ball. Okay. All right. Yeah. Especially, especially, especially when you consider where where this started, and that was with seven twenty five minimum wage. That's yeah. you can't. I, who who can live off of that? Nobody. So if you go all the way. If you go all the way around from what Leslie said back to what you said, Kennedy, that's where the rub is. They'll give you the money uh, if you say you're in college because they want you to come out with debt. <laughs> Right. But now, if you don't manage that money properly and you're in the consumer mindset, well, you have a problem because then you're going to need to get a mortgage. You're going to need to get a car. You're going to need to do all those things. But guess what? They've already lowered your credit score and your credit worthiness. And so you're in a, you're in a pickle. Because guess what happens six months after you get that degree? They want their money back. They want their loan money back. Now, if you were smart and wise, and I wasn't, to understand that game, Man, I, I shoot myself in the foot because I could have acquired all the property around Jackson State at that time and it could be paying dividends and pay my loan and much more by the time I come out. But I wasn't thinking that way. But somebody was and somebody made money. It just wasn't me. Yeah. Mindset. True. And I, I'm not going to get too much off topic, but I already, I was talking to my French niece about that this today. Think that is real, but we're we're not gonna. I feel like that. I just the concept of it. I don't understand how even America is in so much debt, but we're talking about trillion dollar budget resolutions and stuff like 
stuff like this. I, but we're not gonna talk about that. But I just don't think that it's real. I feel like it's it's so, it, how are we in so much debt, but we're still trying to pay. We're I'm we're distributing money. Whereas a trillion dollars here, a billion dollars here. I thought we were in debt. Well, so. that's a that's a common problem when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about the treasury versus a home bank account. Okay. The difference is you don't have a printing press. They do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And so when they have that printing press, then that causes the dollar to be devalued, which triggers a whole lot of other things that are happening right now. Like the overpricing of housing, the housing market, raw materials market, food market. Then you throw a pandemic in there to really scramble it up. <laughs> and then you come out with all sorts of quirky things. So, yes, there's a lot of money owed uh, from a policy standpoint. Look at what Biden is doing versus what Trump was doing. Biden is looking at deficit spending and saying, look, if I infuse enough money in, even if I take a printing press and I print enough money and I infuse it in, at some point I can turn the corner. Now, from pure politics, raw politics, and when you give people stuff, they vote for you, <laughs> you know. But it also helps in a time of need, especially when you had a lot of people that were out of work because the country was essentially closed. Yeah. And so then when they try to go back to work at 725. We can't, you can't. It doesn't, it doesn't work out because all the things that you were waiting on Toilet tissue, chicken nuggets. Very true. Wood to build houses. Hmm. All those things are higher now. Increased. Increased. Yeah. Increased, I mean, yeah. I, I never thought I'd see a day where I'm paying eight dollars for a, a can of Lysol. But that's yeah, what we're gonna Yeah, you would. If you'd have bought the lights out when I told you before everybody got, <laughs> got on to it, then you wouldn't have that problem. That's true. Don't talk to me about Because I told you before all of this stuff jumped off. Hey, we need and you were like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, it, look, it's about to go sideways. <laughs> you were you weren't hearing me, the staff wasn't hearing me. And so now you got eight dollar lights off. He's right. He's right. Hey, he's right. I have to own it. I, 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 really, I said we we right. I mean, we sat right in the same room meeting, and he was telling me about this about probably almost eight months before it happened. Wow! Like before coronavirus, like before it really. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You should have listened, Mister. I should have listened. I was like everybody else. I was, I was like I wasn't ignorant. I was ignorant. Because, <laughs> like, man, we ain't stocking up on no toilet tissue and ice off. And it made us go crazy. Like, even to this day, I was like, Mama, we're not going to act like that. Now, like, when the pandemic was happening, my mom was like, go, we got to get this tissue. Like, they just going crazy now. We ain't going to have no tissue. She was ordering tissue off of Amazon. Then the tissue came months later. Then the tissue was this small of a roll. But it's funny. Like, even when I was in Nashville, like, not this past weekend, but the weekend the, a couple months ago, I saw Lysol with my friend. I was just like, girl, I got to buy it. I said, I haven't seen Lysol in months. I said, I just got to buy it just to have it. <laughs> so, no, you know, I think, and, and when you think about this, let, 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 think about this, Kennedy. So right now, you're in D.C. and you're talking about the homeless situation you're seeing. And Charles will tell you, I mean, we... <laughs> The resources that are there now, because you guys have the internet and what you can do, we just simply didn't have and didn't have access to. Because we asked the questions. And I, I think now uh, people are more willing to have conversations and talk. Back in our days coming up, you couldn't get the information out. And I, I'll be the first one at every meeting. They, when I met a, a black person and they own so many McDonald's and nobody wanted to talk to them, I'm asking, I need to know how you got the money to buy your first one because I've already researched and I know how much it costs and they don't have no program. So tell me how you did that. If I got to go work at 10, I go work at 10, but I need, and nobody will tell you because that was the barrier. So at the end of the day, we have to be educating people how to remove barriers. So here's what the pandemic said in reference to what Charles said. You take people on minimum wage you create an extra benefit, which they needed while, the, while we were closed. So now they're essentially getting more 
and unemployment benefits from the federal than they were getting from the state. So they're getting both and you match that together. Now, here's the problem. They're making more money during this time and they're not working. Uh-huh. And that's what people was harping on. That wasn't the problem. Problem is making more money is never the issue. It's learning how to be a better user of the money you make. Because if you make $10 million, if you make $10 million a year and you spend $10 million, you still broke. Sure. So it's, it's not that. It's how do I think differently, function differently, and how do I look at this money and, and turn it into more? How do, when I do purchase things, am I purchasing or am I making an investment in something that's going to allow me to, to, to do something with it that's going to come back and be a benefit? That's a whole show. It is. That that's is. Because people give me now, people are like, why are you driving old cars? Because they pay it for. Yeah, that's, that's the whole hey, you, sound, you sound just like my dad. You sound, I told my friends at also, I said, my dad is a big used car person. All of our cars are used and they are used well. I said, my car is used. The car that I had before that was used. It was a good 2000 uh, Toyota Sequoia. I just hydro drip, uh, hydro planed on the highway. So, but if I didn't hydroplane, I'd still be driving that car today. So, but um, that is true. I want to end the show real quick with just a little highlight about um, if you haven't heard what's been going on in Cuba right now from this past, I want to say Wednesday. Now they announced that it was temporarily lifting the restrictions on travelers bringing food, medicines and hygiene products into the country. The reason why they have been protesting um, protesting uh, Cubans have been protesting the government is because of how they've been how COVID-19 has devastated the country's tourism industry and is sending Cuba's economy into a deep slum a lot of Cubans have been spending hours in long lines trying to buy food medicine and the lockdowns have met, met have left many without work um, it's driven by desperate conditions migration is on the rise by both land and sea so since the start of the 2021 physical year, the U.S. Coast Guard reported intercepting around 500 Cubans at sea. So I just want you guys to be aware for those that are viewing, understand what's going on. Please stand in solidarity with our Cuban brothers and sisters. Hopefully the government will do well by its people. Um, any last final words for the show, guys? I'm going to yield to Charles. Well, I'm not going to go back through the show, but I want you to you're still my student, you're a lifelong student. So I want you to think about what you just said about Cuba and the rise in uh, migration, uh-huh. the policy ramification there. If you remember back when President Trump was talking about building a wall to stop the people coming in at the border, uh-huh. they were coming in for safety and shelter from gangs and drug violence. Sure. People. People move when they don't have food, shelter, safety, clothing, security for their children. They don't want to move. They got to move though. Yeah. They have to. Who wants to go get on a on a boat made out of out of used boards and take your chance on trying to get to Miami? Nobody. Nobody. And you're still a legal, uh, you're still an illegal citizen, so right. The same thing. The same thing is true at the at the border for those people who walk thousands of miles just to get to the U.S. border. It's because of some action in their life. They are reacting to it. Something that's so harsh that they say it's better for me to take my chances on the open sea or to take my chance walking through a jungle. Yeah. So when you hear these political debates they're not they're missing the point on the policies that should be affecting lives of safety security food basics that's all i have i just want to point that out since you brought that up thank you thank you Kennedy, you have a good week. Mr. Peters, uh, nope, I was just going to say you have a good weekend and think about this. And, and, and we dropped a lot on you today and, and, and family as well. 
let us all try to turn and shift the way we think. Uh, I'll leave you with this number, this fact. As African-Americans, we make up 11.3%, roughly 11.3% of the U.S. population. We are the largest consumer buying group of any in the U.S. population. By how much? Uh, by a lot. So here it is. We spend over $600 billion a year of African-Americans, <laughs> and we only represent 11.3%. The next group spends $400 billion. Yeah. So you do the math on that. We make up the less. We're the smallest group in numbers, but we spend the most. And we make the least. A lot of jays. We make the least, we spend the most, and we're the smallest group of people. Antonio wants a positive note. Here's a positive note. The positive note is that particularly the younger generation and you, Kennedy, you guys are thinking differently. You guys are processing things differently even than we did. There's a lot to be proud about. You guys are protecting family. You guys are going hard for the things that matter. You're not you're not choosing your jobs and careers solely, solely on the paycheck. You're really following something that means something to you and what you want to do, and that's going to serve you well because it's going to it's going to put you in a position where you make an impact because you're doing something that has a special connection to you. And for that, that's truly positive because that's going to lead us to a better place. You have a bigger sense of community. You have a bigger buy-in to what's going on locally, and you have a better grasp of politics than we did. So I expect more of you, and I'm already seeing more entrepreneurs at early ages that are doing more than we ever did. So for that, that's positive, and I'm excited about the future and what I see in the young people. Very good. All right. I don't know if you guys can hear me, but very good, very good. Well, I'd like to go ahead and tell everybody to have a great, safe, and fun weekend. See y'all next Friday. us and remember if you have an idea a thought a goal and just don't know how to get started hit us up at chatwithless.com and schedule a time that works for you and we'll figure it out together